And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's day two of bank collapses as we, as we got to get this week going. Of course, uh, yesterday, more situations with banking around the country and, and again, more concerns about markets. Yesterday, markets did rally back after the open. We talked about yesterday that markets are pretty oversold here. So a bit of a bounce uh, is, is going to be likely here. And again, we may see some of that uh, follow through today. Dow's up about 150 points this morning. We'll see how this kind of plays out. Still a lot of stress in the financial sector. But of course, uh, now with the, as we discussed yesterday at, at pretty decent length, um, talking about this kind of new bailout that the Fed is putting together to ensure deposits get back to customers. So that did ease some of the overall concern about the banking system yesterday, and that helped alleviate some of the pressure on the markets as well. Um, we saw two things happen yesterday, of course. Yields spiked very early in the morning, but then started to reverse during the day. And then this morning, we'll kind of see how this goes. Markets are pointing up here, but the markets did close off the lows yesterday fairly substantially. Um, we did try to make that first attempt at that 200-day uh, moving average, failed there. So again, today will be another test of that. Markets remain on a sell signal. We were very close to triggering that buy signal that we had talked about uh, last week. Uh, that's turned back lower again. That's not unusual either. It looks like we're going to try to, to uh, push our sell signal back down towards really kind of cycle lows. Uh, we'll be watching that carefully. Markets, as I said, though, very oversold here short term. So a bit of a reflexive bounce is very likely. Again, use that to raise some cash, kind of reduce risk. We are probably not out of the woods yet. I've got Michael Leibowitz, who normally joins me on Thursday, joining me today because today is CPI day. Um, so we'll be get the, getting the inflation print out for February. Um, if that number comes in hot, what does that mean? If it comes in weak, what does that mean for the Fed? Again, uh, the Fed is now between a rock and a hard place and something that Mike and I will talk about in more detail this morning. But the Federal Reserve has been focused on hiking interest rates until they get inflation under control. But as we've warned about several times in the past, they're going to hike rates until they break something. Well, now they've broken something in the financial system, usually where it shows up. There's usually, as we've said before, generally when the Fed's hiking rates, they either create a recession and that recession is usually linked to a credit event of some sort. That's what we see going on in the markets right now. And of course, the problem is, is if they go to fight this credit event and start cutting rates, which you know, Goldman Sachs is saying no more rate hikes here. Uh, if you take a look at Fed funds futures, there's been a very dramatic drop in where the terminal rate is. That's, that's where the Fed was expected to hike rates to and has pulled forward rate cuts. So now the market's expecting the Fed to cut rates sooner rather than later. But the problem is the Fed still has this inflation problem. So Fed, meet rock and hard place. Uh, so do you hike rates uh, to continue fighting inflation or do you rotate and pivot to start bailing out banks? This is going to be the big challenge. Now, one of the interesting things of this is, as we've talked about before, though, is in 2008 and something that Mike and I will dig into a little bit more this morning. But this is one of the ongoing problems with the financial system. 
Despite the fact that we've had 12 years of this unprecedented bull market um, that has been driven by $43, $44 trillion worth of liquidity, in 2008, under the Obama administration, we repealed Rule 157, which was an accounting rule that required banks to mark their collateral at market value. So if I have a, if I have a bond that I bought at 100 cents on the dollar and interest rates go up, the value of that bond goes down, I have to mark that bond at face value, whatever that is. If I have an asset on my books, like a mortgage that nobody is paying a payment on, I have to mark that, that mortgage down to what fair market value would be for basically a defaulted mortgage. But changing rule 157 said, doesn't matter. If you have an asset on your books, it's worth 50 cents on the dollar, that's okay, you can market it 100 cents on the dollar. And that boosted capital, what we call tier one capital, Mike can explain this, well, Michael, I'll have Mike explain this more in detail when we, when we get to this conversation. But tier one capital for banks made banks look very healthy because all these assets they had on their books were marked at full face value, hoping that someday they would be worth that full face value. Well, the problem is when you do that, of course, is that you really don't have that much capital. And this is what we found out with Silicon Valley Bank. They had to go sell assets that were not at face value. And as we discussed yesterday, they didn't have the capital to meet depository withdrawals. So, you know, this is the problem we have with our financial system. We keep jiggering things around to try to ease restrictions, try to allow things to appear stable. This creates an inflation of asset prices because of, of this access to liquidity that we put into the markets that isn't really substantially there. And this is why when we have these issues, they tend to run through the banks very quickly because we're told for, for 12 years now, we've been told the Fed every quarter or every year, the Fed does stress tests on the banks. And the Fed says, oh, all the banks pass the stress test. They can withstand the spike in interest rates or they can withstand the drop in, in employment. They're going to be just fine. They have plenty of capital. But as soon as interest rates move up, we have a credit crisis. <laughs> so... Again, banks are not well capitalized. We've been saying this for three years now. Banks are not as well capitalized as everybody was told that they were. So anyway, we'll get into more of this this morning with Michael Leibowitz. It's just one of my bones I have to pick <laughs> with government as usual. Um, all right, but real quick here, back to the markets. As I said, markets have broken all major levels of support here. We're looking for a bit of a rally. The markets have to get back above the support of the 200-day moving average by the end of the week. I doubt that's going to happen. This certainly puts a different tinge on the markets right now. So again, we've now switched from a bit of a bullish bias to a bit of a bearish bias for right now. There is risk to the downside momentarily. Uh, flipping over to bonds very quickly. Yields, of course, as we said yesterday, kind of spiked lower yesterday morning. Bond prices moved up sharply, moved above the 200-day moving average, which has been the downtrend line really that downtrend resistance for bond prices moved above that yesterday, came back a bit. Not surprising. Uh, bonds are pretty overbought here real short term. And so again, not, you know, not surprising you have a little bit of a pullback here. This is likely going to be a decent opportunity to start adding longer duration bonds to your portfolio uh, somewhere in here. But again, uh, we're on a buy signal uh, for bonds, which typically tends to lead to higher, uh, to higher bond prices lower yields. I doubt seriously that we're out of the woods yet 
with this whole banking mess. I think this is going to take a while longer, which should start to uh, uh, provide yields and push yields lower. As we've said before, the one thing about treasury bonds, and this does not apply to corporates, but the one thing about treasury bonds is when there is a credit event, when people are worried about the markets or credit or anything like that, the first place they go to for safety is U.S. Treasuries. And that's what we've seen clearly here over the last couple of days. There has been a very, very sharp drop in yields, a very rapid rise in Treasury bond prices because this is where money goes to seek safety. And so again, a bit of a pullback here isn't surprising. Big move over the last couple of days. Get a bit of a pullback here. See where uh, bond price is based, but this is likely gonna be an opportunity to start adding that exposure, particularly if the Fed, which is coming up on the 22nd, something we'll talk about more with Mike this morning, will they hike rates? Again, Fed, rock, hard place. Everybody's coming together in one, in one moment. Does the Fed hike rates or not? And that's gonna be the big question, of course, as I said this morning, inflation will be the first tell of that uh, decision as well. So quick break. We'll come back. A lot of stuff to get into with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, like I said, uh, Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning uh, to talk a little bit more about, you know, what's going on with the, the regional banking sector and, you know, the the issues that are, are coming up um, and things that are happening right now are not are really not surprising. Um, both Mike and I have been talking about the risk when the Fed was hiking interest rates and beginning this rate hiking campaign starting last year. And ironically, um as discussed, as we've discussed here recently, you know, it takes nine to 12 months for rate hikes to actually show up in the economy, right? To have an effect. There's the, and this is that lag effect that we've talked about more often than not. And, you know, what's interesting is, is the first rate hike was on March 13th and 14th. Oh, sorry, March 14th and 15th of 2022. That was the first time the Fed had hiked rates from zero, and that was that 25 basis point rate hike. Ironically, almost exactly to the day one year later, we have a bank crisis going on. And, you know, this is, uh, but this is part and parcel of, you know, the things that we've been talking about. This is the risk that the Fed is running when you're hiking rates into an economy that is very debt dependent. And, you know, a lot of these banks are carrying a lot of debt. And I was just talking about a second ago, 
you know, this issue of mark-to-market accounting is very important and very salient to this point because these banks are holding this collateral on their books saying, oh, I'm fully capitalized with tier one capital because they're not marking those, those assets to face value. They're, they're keeping them marked at 100 cents on the dollar, which ironically is what the Fed is now also offering. They're saying, hey, give me your crappy collateral that's trading at 80 cents on the dollar and we'll give you value of 100 cents on the dollar. So this is how they're bailing out the banks. Just a quick side note of all this. thought this was interesting because this is, you know, lots of finger pointing and blame going around right now about, you know, the repeal of Dodd-Frank. And Dodd-Frank was a bill that was passed just after 2008 to solve the too-big-to-fail problem. And for the last decade, both, you know, every administration has been slowly chipping away at the teeth that were in Dodd-Frank, removing uh, regulations, reducing restrictions, those type of things. And and it's basically defanged Dodd-Frank entirely, um, and, of course, the last leg of that was under the Trump administration. He signed a law that was backed by all Republicans and, and about 20 Democrats and 17 Democratic senators uh, to pretty much put the death knell into Dodd-Frank. And here we are a couple of years later back into a financial crisis. But I thought it was interesting. Former Representative Barney Frank, one of the authors of the Dodd-Frank bill, who authored that bill in 2010, and it was a financial reform you know, part of the Financial Reform Act following that 2008 financial crisis. He was also the Democratic chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. He was also on the board of SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. So just (laughs) the guy that was in charge of writing the restrictions to oversee banks on the board of a bank that fails. Just thought that was interesting. (laughs) All right. Michael Lee, welcome to the show this morning. Obviously, lots of stuff to talk about. Um, Fed coming out, they're having their meeting on the 22nd. Of course, the big the big question is right now, you know, will they hike rates or will they not? And that's the big question. Of course, inflation out this morning as well. That's expected to tick up about, you know, half a percent. We'll see what that number comes in. Um, you know, if it's too hot, does that put pressure on the Fed to raise rates here? If it comes in not hot enough, does that give the Fed room to not raise rates because of what's going on with the financial crisis? What are you thinking? Yeah, this is, uh, has become all of a sudden a really interesting Fed meeting. If you remember last Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, Jerome Powell was on the Hill testifying and he was very hawkish. The market sold off pretty hard mm-hmm. on, those, on uh, Tuesday, at least, because the Fed was saying higher for longer. They're concerned about inflation. Everything seems good. Nothing's breaking. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep raising rates. And here we are less than a week later. And Powell hasn't backtracked, but the market is now now thinks the Fed's going to cut rates by a full percent by the end of the year. And there's a couple like Nomura, for instance, thinks that they may cut rates at the March meeting. I mean, that's it's gone from almost uh, it was like an 80 percent chance of the Fed going 50 basis points in a week to a couple brokers thinking they could cut rates at the next meeting. Uh, You know, it's kind of crazy. And I just think it shows you how unstable, how stable yet unstable the banking system is mm-hmm. and always has been and probably always will be. It's it's the lifeline of our economy, yet it's so riddled 
with uh, its foundation is so riddled at its core. And, uh, you know, I don't have any ideas how to fix it. But Lance, what you were going through in the first segment was is the problem. It's that they borrow money, they borrow deposits, which are very short term, potentially short term deposits, and they lend money for long, long periods of time. So you run the risk that the deposit rates go up while your long term assets stay the same price or even go down. And once again, and we've seen this throughout history, once again, that's what happened. We don't even have a credit issue right now. 2008 was more of a credit issue. This is because so, this, you know, this is happening to banks that had U.S. Treasuries on their books. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not their their funky loans that are causing them mm -hmm. problems. This is U.S. Treasuries, you know, and if you go look around at the, the population of U.S. Treasuries that you can buy right now, there's plenty of them that are 70 and 80 cents on the dollar. Well, banks own a lot of those, too. And they own a lot of car loans, uh, mortgage loans, all kinds of corporate loans. Mm -hmm. And for the same reasons, those loans are priced at 60, 70, 80, 90 cents on the dollar. And there's one, a $1 of deposit backing them. And what the Fed and uh, the SEC and the government did in 2008 was say, well, if you plan to hold those assets to maturity, don't worry about pricing them. They're just always at par. Um, uh, credit risks, I think they do have to impair them, but other than credit risks, just keep it at par. So even though you may have a bond that's worth 70 cents that you could sell for 70 cents, you can price it at par. So anyone looking at your book says, well, they got a dollar of assets, a dollar of deposits and a dollar of an asset. They're well capitalized. That's what a good bank that is. <laughs> well, the reality is they had a dollar of deposits and 80 cents of assets, which is fine until Lance comes into the branch and says, hey, I want to take out my uh, I want to take out 20 cents. I want to withdraw 20 cents. Well, now the bank has a big problem because they have to sell 20 cents worth of that asset and they're selling it at 80 cents on a the dollar. They're recognizing the loss, first of all. And when you recognize the loss, you have to raise more capital. And ultimately, that's what did Silicon Valley in is that they took some losses to meet some depositors needs and they uh, they had to raise capital and raising capital for a bank is always scary for investors. Investors saying, why are you raising capital if your assets and your deposits are both one to one? Why would you need capital? And then, you know, within days, the bank went from fully functioning, fundamentally sound some of the, you know, I'm not going to say smarter, but Jim Cramer's of the world recommending that it's a great bank. There's nothing wrong with it to defaulting yeah. in days, literally days. But and that's the flaw with the U.S. banking system. And it's not just Silicon Valley. If every depositor said we're going to pull our money out of J.P. Morgan, Bank America, City, those firms have the same exact problem. Mm -hmm. They do not properly hedge their books and they're not incented to hedge it. When you have an asset that's priced at 100 cents on a dollar, what are you hedging? Who cares that it's really worth right. 50 cents as long as you think it's going to mature at par? Well, and again, this is then this is the big risk. And I, and I went through this yesterday talking about fractional reserve banking on the show. And, you know, this is you know, there's nothing wrong with fractional reserve banking. In fact, we have an article on this this morning on the website. Michael and I uh, worked on this article yesterday. Uh, but kind of talking about what is fractional reserve banking and kind of what's going on with, with the markets right now. We have that article on the website this morning. It's at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
there's but there's nothing wrong with fractional reserve banking, right? It's it's as Mike said, you know, and as we talked to you about yesterday, you have a dollar's worth of deposits, and then most time people make, you know, they have their money in savings, so they're not taking it all out every day. And so the bank then loans that money out into to you know other businesses, and that's how they make interest income on those loans. Or they use some of that capital to go buy bonds with, of which they receive interest income. And this is why you know when you take a look at your your savings account, right? You get you know right now is a good example. Everybody's upset because you know two year treasury notes are paying well were paying five percent. They're now four percent. But your money market account is paying zero or half a percent or some of that. Well, that spread, that differential between what the bonds are paying and what the bank pays you on savings is how the bank makes their money. That's where their income comes in. And this is particularly the case with regional banks, which don't have access. So J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, you know, these guys have big, massive institutional trading applications so they're doing investment banking activities which is very lucrative they're doing uh you know portfolio trading they're doing asset management very lucrative businesses in fact for jp morgan is a good example the retail business is actually kind of a loss leader you know money losing business for for jp morgan you know if they if they could have their way they would just get rid of all the retail depositors <laughs> they're more of a pain than not because all their money comes from the investment banking side um but, you know, the issue is, as long, and, and again, this goes back to instability and stability, and that paradox of, of instability, which is as long as nobody pushes the big red button, fractional reserve banking works just fine. But like Mike said, when everybody shows up and wants their money at once, those assets aren't there. And that's the problem that we have, not marking assets to fair market value, because you don't really know what the capitalization is from the bank. A uh, quick, uh, quick error fix. I accidentally, I said uh, Frank Dodd was on the board of Silicon Valley Bank. I meant Signature Bank. Thank you for the correction. I appreciate it. Uh, be right back after the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back. So this morning, so talking a little bit about, uh, again, so when we step back and look at where we were, and you know kind of what's happened over the last few days you know lots of concern obviously and you know the one thing is is don't panic here right um you don't need to go run out and take all your money out of the bank again it's you know especially if you're in a major bank like jp morgan or somebody like that they're fine the the problem for the regional banks as i was saying just before the break is they don't have access to all the other forms of revenue or they they are you know regional banks are very tied to basically loans and business and operations. I mean, so that's pretty much where the revenue stream comes from. So so they don't have the flexibility like a JP Morgan does to generate revenues and assets from uh, other forms of business. Now, so 
And again, you know, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and what happened with Signature Bank and and likely going to be others before this is all said and done is a function of basically what's happening with this increase in interest rates. And again, what is concerned or what happens is as long as there isn't a panic, right, and everybody demands money at once, and this is what, you know, trapped Silicon Valley Bank was everybody showed up and wanted $42 billion literally overnight. Now, one of the differences, too, that will need to be investigated to some degree or at least looked at is in the past, if you wanted to go take your money out of the bank, you had to, you know, go to the bank. <laughs> and, you know, if you had to get your car, drive to the bank, write a check, deposit, get your money out of the bank. Well, the problem for Silicon Valley Bank was when everybody wanted their money, they just picked up their phone and went, send my money Venmo over to JP Morgan and it was gone overnight. And so there wasn't an opportunity for the bank to, you know, kind of slow things down a bit or, you know, put breaks in place of some sort to try to work through their capital stress. The money just literally evaporated because of all this technology we have for immediacy of transfer. So before the bank before the bank could even realize what was going on, capital was gone. They were having to sell assets, and that's where the kind of the cascade of events occurred. So it's really a twofold situation here of, of one, not just hiking interest rates, but the immediacy at which money can be withdrawn from banks because of electronic technology. And this will be an interesting thing that that may get looked at, you know, in the months ahead. And, you know, looking to see if there's a way to put brakes on the ability to withdraw things, but this is a problematic too, because if you want your money back, you should, that's why they're called demand deposits. I make a demand deposit into the bank. That means that I can get access to it anytime I want. So if I want to put money in today and take it out tomorrow, that's completely okay. That's what a demand deposit is. Anyway, it'll be an interesting talking point as this goes forward as to the changes in the banking system. Okay. But this, this also brings up the bigger issue with the markets which is that this issue was caused by the Fed hiking rates. And as Mike and I have been harping on for months and months and months now, ad nauseum, that they were going to hike rates, they were hiking rates too aggressively, and that it would eventually break something. We just didn't know what it would be. Would it be economics? Would it be financial? Would it be credit? What would it be? We have said this repeatedly. Well, it turns out that we now know what they broke. But again, the Fed is on this, as, and again, as Mike mentioned at the, at the outset of the, uh, of the conversation, the Fed is due to meet again on March 22nd. And just last week, they're saying, hey, we've got to keep hiking rates here. In fact, odds of a 50 basis point rate hike were approaching 70, 80 percent for, for the March 22nd meeting. Now, that's obviously reversed very sharply over the last couple of days, but the Fed is now caught between the proverbial rock and the hard place. The, the rock is, of course, financial instability. I keep hiking rates, I potentially cause more financial instability through banks. If I cut rates or stop hiking rates, and I haven't killed the inflation bug yet, inflation comes roaring back into the economy. And that runs a real risk now that you are, are now putting facilities into place that are bailing out banks. Because now people are going to say, I want all my money out of the bank. They've got money, and all of a sudden they go, well, well, I've got this money just sitting here not doing anything. I might as well go buy something with it. And now you start getting inflation back into the economy. So this is a real challenge for the Fed because, again, what the Fed was con most concerned about was a reflation of inflation. 
And of course, if they start cutting rates to try to stem off a credit event, that's going to cause more inflationary pressures in the economy. The whole purpose, again, of hiking interest rates is to tighten monetary policy in order to slow consumption, to slow the economy, which brings down inflation. It's always about supply and demand. So, Mike, coming up on the 22nd, the Fed's got a real challenge here between being in the rock and the hard place. You know, what do you think they choose? I mean, do you, uh, you know, I think the odds of a 25 basis point hike are probably more realistic than 50 at this point. But what's the probability that basically they just say, you know what, we're going to pause until we just get through this period of whatever it is? It could be. But I, I think the Fed risks credibility here. Literally a week ago, he was basically telling you he was going 50 and he was going 25 and 25 and 25. And they were going to keep going until they stomped out inflation. That we haven't got an inflation piece of data. There's no indication that inflation has changed at all over the last week. Mm -hmm. So from a purely economic perspective, why would the Fed stop? Now, the second part of that is I, I disagree with you, Lance. The Fed didn't break the bank, break, break the bank. That's hard to say. Break the banking system. <laughs> the banks broke the banking system. If you look at Silicon Valley Bank, mm -hmm. they had 14 billion in swap hedges last year that they removed at the end of last year, beginning of this year, because they thought rates were going to go down. Right. They had zero hedges on their books to protect against higher rates throughout this year. So when the Fed got more hawkish, it basically took took their assets down too far. So I think, look, I love blaming the Fed. You know that I blame <laughs> them for everything. But they they've telegraphed what they were going to do really well this year. Everyone knew what they were going to do. There were no surprises at meetings. It was clear what they were doing. And the bank made a very speculative and stupid bet that banks should not be making. Okay. Regulators didn't notice that they removed all their hedges. So but, so the question for for Powell is, so am I going to stop raising rates because some banks made some really stupid decisions and created a bank run? Mm -hmm. the, the answer is maybe because we know we know Powell cares a lot more about the banks than inflation or the economy. Right. Banks always come number one. But I, I think the massive elephant in the room and I started burning the midnight oil last night for my article. For, I changed my I had I, I had an article written for tomorrow and I basically wrote a new one because I think the big elephant in the room is what I call the aftershock. It's not necessarily what happens with the banks. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. But how does that affect the economy? Mm -hmm. And that's what that's what Powell and the Fed have to be looking at now. Have the events of the last few days truly affected economic growth? Will it raise unemployment? Will it have any kind of macroeconomic effect? And if you think the answer is yes, then maybe the Fed should start slowing down. But if you think this is kind of taken care of and ring-fenced, then no. The Fed still has the same. Whatever Jerome Powell was saying last week certainly holds true this week. And we'll get a piece of inflation data this morning. And if, God forbid, that number is on the high side of expectations, we got a big problem because the market thinks the Fed's going to cut rates by a percent. Mm -hmm. And the Fed's telling you that there's, you know, at least as far as the last we've heard from the Fed, that they're going to raise rates by close to a percent. Right. That's a massive divergence. And divergences like that never close with just a, <laughs> a nice, peaceful market trending in one direction or another.
that's that's volatility waiting to explode. And I look, I don't know whether it's upside or downside volatility, but we do know there's volatility waiting here yeah. in the markets well, until that till the market and the Fed resolve their differences, which yeah. are well, and, and that's and, huge. Right. And I think that's the big issue here. Right. And so, you know, you know, when I when I said, you know, the Fed was going to hike rates until they break something, you know, you and I both agree is that, you know, I agree with you. Yes, it was it was signature. It was uh, Silicon Valley Bank's, you know, removal of hedges that caused the problem. But that problem wouldn't have existed if the Fed wasn't hiking rates and depressing value of capital. Right. So this is what we're just talking about. A minute ago. But this but but do we get back to the point of where we go back to having banks mark capital to market value rather than leaving it full face value. That would have solved some of this problem as well, because as those values had declined, the bank would have had to add more capital to their books to ensure solvency. But because they were marking to market, not mar well, the, because they weren't marking to market and they're marking everything to face value, that's what provided the, the, the fuel, so to speak, you know, they could have removed their hedges if their if their book was marked at, at fair value. And they could have said, OK, I'm not going to run a hedge. And they would have just had to raise more capital to meet their deposits. But, you know, maybe the fallout wouldn't have been as bad if there was a realization of what their capital structure actually was. And this is I think this is something that that we're going to have to go back and revisit at some point with the entire banking system. You know, we run these fraudulent stress tests that says all the banks are fine, but yet every time. That we have some type of economic downturn, March of 2020. Now, you know, 2018. I mean, every time that there's a downturn somewhere in the economy, we're bailing people out. I mean, that tells you right there there's something wrong with the system. If we have to keep bailing everybody out every time there's a hiccup within the economy. Speaking of hiccups, coming back after the break, um, we'll kind of spin this all back around to the markets, investing, and, you know, kind of what happens next. Don't go away. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, welcome back to the show this morning. So, a couple of things here. Um, you know, that we've got to deal with challenges for the markets. And again, this is, you know, still a lot of these events are still unfolding, but we're still having to try to figure out where markets are going to go to next. And as we said, you know, at the beginning of the show, markets technically have certainly broken very important levels of support. They broke the 200-day moving average. We crashed through the rising trend line from the October lows. Now, we bounced yesterday off the December lows. So that level of support, that we had defined in this weekend's newsletter as well as on our daily commentary on Monday, that held yesterday. 
So that level of support now has become key support here for the markets. The markets need to rally from here. Markets are pointing higher this morning now that concerns over a spreading, you know, kind of banking event is starting to to quail a bit now that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury has, and FDIC have stepped in with a bailout package guaranteeing depositor monies. That's kind of, you know, getting people to settle down here a bit. But this is one of those, you know, environments where there's a lot of unknowns. And again, one of those unknowns is, is we're going to have a CPI report today. We've got employment coming up at the beginning of the next month. We've got the Fed on the 22nd. And again, you know, the question is, is the Fed going to keep hiking rates here, tightening monetary policy further? And if they do, does that continue to impact banks and consumers and those type of things? The answer, of course, is yes, right? Higher rates are going to do that, particularly when a very debt-laden economy. So the question becomes, you know, where do markets go to from here and 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 where are where are money flows likely going to be heading to? Um, over the course of the next few months. And, and again, it's been an interesting year so far. We had written last year in, in November and December that bonds would be one of the best performing asset classes this year. And that's absolutely turned out to be the case so far. And, you know, there's also, you know, this issue of value versus growth. Value's actually not been doing well, even despite the kind of turmoil we're having. Value's not been doing well. Growth has been doing actually a lot better. So one of the questions now becomes, you know, kind of where to next for markets and money. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts here? Well, I think first we have to kind of resolve this issue between the market and the Fed. And CPI will help us. And ultimately, the Fed next Wednesday is going to kind of guide us on where rates are going. So the market has priced in a massive pivot. That's what's happened over literally two days, three days. The two-year note has fallen by over 1%. That's the most it's ever fallen since 1987. That's a, a an incredible move lower. And basically what the bond market is pricing in is that the Fed is, is going to start dropping rates aggressively. Prior to at the beginning of this year, when the idea of a pivot, a stall and a pivot was in play, mm -hmm. they were very gradual 25 basis point increment declines, uh, you know, a few of them. Um, this is a emergency pivot. And this is one thing we've always said that when the f you don't really want to pivot, I know the market seemed to rally on the idea of a pivot. But pivots don't happen in nice, gentle ways. They don't just, we're going to slow down. You know, maybe we'll cut 25 in this month and we'll wait two months and we'll cut 25. Pivots are aggressive. It's the elevator down. Fed funds, when they raise rates, it's the stairs up. And when they pivot, it's the elevator down. Because inevitably, Lance, you've said this a million times. I've said it. The Fed will break something with higher rates. We're a very heavily dependent economy on interest rates and interest rates have moved up more more in one year than they have in the last 40 years something will break and other things are going to break you know even if the banking system is shored up which it could be may not be there are a whole slew of things waiting to break here economically and the fed has to be aware of that but the fed is still very aware of inflation mm -hmm. so this is a tightrope game here that, you know, we're walking on this tightrope and, you know, it's hard to know what the Fed's going to do. Will they stay vigilant? Will they not? And if they don't stay vigilant, how does that 
how does that jive with what they said just last week that they that inflation was their biggest concern? So, you know, rock in a hard place doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> the position that Powell and the Fed are in right now. And what they must be hoping for is CPI is a negative number today so that they can all of a sudden do a victory lap and say, yep, see, we squashed inflation. Mm -hmm. Now we can lower rates and we can kind of do what the market wants us to do here. It's so about to be one one hell of a drop in inflation for that to happen. <laughs> we'll see if they have a pull. We'll see if they know someone at the BLS. Exactly. Um, but, you know, so so this is the uh, but this, you know, this becomes an interesting challenge about where to invest money. And, and, and you're right. Um, very quickly, I, I posted a tweet this morning that said uh, basically talking about what Mike was talking about in terms of the depth of this uh kind of drop in rates the last three times that rates dropped this much in a single day was the day of the lehman crisis in 2008 9 11 in 2001 and of course 1987 like mike said so you know these events where you have a very very sharp drop in in yields and a sharp and, and subsequently a sharp rise in bond prices only occurs around crisis events right and so you know, one of the things this is telling you is that this is probably not a one-off event. This is, you know, and again, we have to go back in history. And yes, let me back that up and let me just clarify that. Could this be a one-off event? Yes, it could just be a one-off event. Maybe it was just a couple of banks and that's it. But if you remember back in 2007, Bear Stearns collapsed. And we all every you know the government stepped in and, and orchestrated with J.P. Morgan and others to basically take over that bank for two dollars a share. Uh, the, what brought Bear Stearns down, of course, was their they had fun, big mutual funds they were running based on subprime mortgages. And when all that started to fail, Ben Bernanke, of course, time going, oh, don't worry about it. Subprime mortgage, subprime crisis. Oh, that's all contained. Don't worry about subprime mortgages. They're just fine. No risk there. So markets actually rallied back to all-time highs right after Bear Stearns, and everybody assumed it was a one-off event. It wasn't. Could this be a one-off event? Maybe. It's probably not because of the impact of higher rates are impacting the economy and as, and as we've said numerous times here if there's a nine to 12 month lag on these fed funds in rate increases we're just now one year past the first increase there's still 450 basis points of rate hikes still coming into the system over the course of this year and that's just assuming the fed stops hiking rates now right if they keep hiking rates that's just adding more you know, more barriers uh, to the economy going forward. So is this a one-off event? Maybe. But mm -hmm. it's it's hard to suggest that, you know, in an economy so dependent upon debt that this is, you know, this issue has been solved. Um, and here's, here's another big issue, Lance. Even if this issue, this banking issue resolves itself, banks are going to get more conservative here. Right. Banks were just read the Riot Act. And they need to get more conservative. So lending standards are going to get tougher. They're already tough right now. They're going to get even tougher. Banks are going to focus on their balance sheet. They're not going to be making as many stupid loans as they were making. They're not going to be making as many loans as they were making. So the cost of credit, especially for, for junkier, lower quality 
uh, borrowers, both consumers and corporations, will rise because there's going to be less supply of available loans. And that's another tightening, another big tightening on the economy, in addition to interest rates. Mm -hmm. And we saw it yesterday, credit, junk credit spreads blew out yesterday. You know, that was one of the things we've been talking about, Lance, is that credit spreads were very uh, just kind of stuck at low levels, not going anywhere. But if you look back at the past, they they gap higher out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And we, we saw the beginnings of that yesterday. Junk credit spreads were up almost a, a full percent. This is at a time when when yields are dropping by, you know, anywhere a quarter to a full percent. And junk bond yields are going in the opposite direction. And that's because a lot of those junky companies are going to struggle now to get loans from banks to 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 fund their operations, which there's what, 600 of the Russell 3000 mm -hmm. are companies that can't even afford their interest payments without borrowing more money. Right. They're zombie companies. So a lot of these zombies are going to be in big trouble here in the coming weeks, assuming, which I think is a great assumption, that the banks are forced both internally and externally to to clean up their balance sheets. Right. And, and just to, you know, kind of put a, a closing point on this and, and and one of the things is as investors, you know, we have to pay attention to these big macro issues as they occur. But at the same time, we don't want to make big, massive moves and go, well, you know, I'm just going to cash out of everything because of this issue. Again, you know, that can also be just as bad because, again, you know, you could be selling right at the bottom, you know, of some event and then the market rallies back and, and markets do. They, they're going to trade up and down. So the point here is, is understand what's happening. But don't overreact to it. Allow the markets to give you opportunities to reduce risk. And as I said earlier, you know, we're in the mode now of selling into rallies. And, you know, we'll see how this market goes today. And, you know, we'll make some decisions from there. But over the next, you know, week or so, as, as long as we remain below technical levels, remain on sell signals, we'll use rallies to sell into and raise some cash until we have a better picture and a better understanding. And, of course, we'll keep you informed here as well. Uh, about where markets are heading to next. Okay, that wraps up the show. Get by the website. Our article on the kind of the, the banking issue right now, it's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, while you're there, also get our daily market commentary. Make sure you subscribe to that. We send that out every morning at 7.30. Make sure you're ready for the trading day. And of, of course, as always, subscribe to this channel. And don't forget to subscribe to Before the Bell. It's our other channel that we have for our three minutes on markets and money. Yes, we're still doing three minutes on Marcus Money. It's just now called Before the Bell. So make sure you subscribe there as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the next edition of The Real Investment Show.